This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim 365 Radio, Sikkim365.com, a post-Big 12 Media Days episode. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim 365 Radio, also team reporter, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer, director of broadcasting, team and recruiting reporter, and we've got Garrett behind the scenes, Garrett Ross, pushing all of the right buttons and making our uh, show sound a little bit better, uh, but hopefully you've had a good week, good day, and uh, whatever else is going on, hopefully that's going good for you as well. But we are here to recap and preview and talk about all things Baylor athletics, and we are fresh off the heels, as I mentioned, of Big 12 Media Days. Uh, it is officially the preseason. We've got all sorts of preseason teams out and news and notes and things to get to, and now for the first time in a few months, we've also heard from Baylor head football coach Dave Aranda, as well as some of the Baylor football players like Dylan Doyle and Bryson Jackson, who were in attendance last week in Arlington. So uh, we are going to talk some media days and our thoughts coming out of that event. We'll also get into some recruiting news. Uh, we'll have the mailbag at the very end to close things out as we normally do. Uh, but Grayson, uh, before we dive into our first topic, which is not related to any of those things, which is actually going to be uh, on a realignment and the latest there, uh, how are we doing fresh off of a couple of days at AT&T Stadium. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of fun at that event. You know, just going into Cowboy Stadium and being able to kind of see, you know, a lot of the media that's there, a lot of the attention that the Big 12 was getting. This year, obviously, getting to see Brett Yormark, the the new Big 12 commissioner, starting August 1st. Getting to hear from him was really fun and cool. Dave Aranda. Um, I mentioned to you how this year was the first year I saw so many cameras around Dave Aranda, especially after winning the Big 12 championship. You know, people were just more fascinated by what was going on with him. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I think we had a great time. We had tons of coverage. Y'all did a great job, had tons of guests. I mean, I, I don't think you could have hoped for a better uh visitor list guest list than y'all had uh, during the week so it was a lot of fun to cover and listen from a lot of these people yeah I just want to give a shout out I think Sikkim 365 as we get closer to the season here in the next few weeks is operating at a pretty high level uh, even though we are you know dealing with people going on vacations or you know this or that or whatever you know is changing with the way the wind blows uh, I don't think we could have pushed out much more than we did last week in terms of you know audio interviews and then I know you were recapping a lot of the press conferences and people were writing stories and it's all out there still for you to consume here a few days later if you didn't get the chance to live last week but I think we had it pretty well covered from every angle and I uh, was proud of the way that uh, this team has you know kind of put everything together and, and certainly the way we covered media day so we did get to see Brett Yormark uh, your first thoughts on the new Big 12 commissioner I mean we got an opportunity to to talk to him one-on-one -on -one. that's one of those interviews that you can check out and uh, certainly uh, interesting to uh, hear his thoughts on realignment and expansion uh, given the way things are going today but before I get into that little sliver 
of what we talked about. Uh, just your initial impressions of Brett Yormark getting to hear him talk. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit at Media Days about this, and I, I just was so impressed with him and just kind of his view of the conference. And I think it's so important when you become a commissioner that you have a clear vision for what you want the conference to be. And he has that. Even before the Pac-12 realignment, I felt like there was a clear vision that he wanted to address, which was more social media engagement, more eyeballs, youth culture was something that he brought up a lot. Um, just making the Big 12 fun again, right? And, and making it more of a national brand. And obviously all eyes for him are on the media rights deal that's coming up in 2025. So he mentioned that at length uh, as well, which is so important that you got to be able to make money. And that's, that's the name of the game nowadays. So I, I felt like he was really straight-lined with everything that he said. There was a clear vision, and I was so impressed. I came away feeling like the Big 12 is in as good of hands as they could be right now. Yeah, I think that he did a great job. Uh, I was impressed. I was definitely leery of, you know, a little bit of snake oil salesman or whatever. Just when you, you know, you hear of a guy who's been in the pro sports world and he's coming from New York, and I'm not one of those, like, Matt Rule haters that despise him just simply because he was from the Northeast. That was all so ridiculous, by the way. I'll, I'll say that every time that gets brought up by me or by anybody else. But, you know, you just don't know. The guy's not, like, a Big 12 guy, so you're not really quite sure, and especially given the decision-making of the Big 12 at times, like, this isn't 100% that this will be a home run hire. Uh, but yet I feel like they hit a home run just based on what little we've heard from him so far and just the the way that even for the questions that he didn't have answers for, you could see the wheels turning in his head and you just felt like this is going to be the, the right type of guy to go in and, and find the money, so to speak, and, and make some deals and really give the, the Big 12 a fresh coat of paint. So I liked uh, what I heard from Brett Yormark, even though there were obviously some things that he still couldn't dive fully into because he's still learning uh, and he still hasn't even started the job technically. But as we did learn, he has been on the job already. And that's included talks about expansion and realignment and what all's coming with that. And the latest on that as far as Baylor and the Big 12 Conference goes is, on the one hand, I think I see every time that Fox intentionally launches one of these just very vague fan questions and they have these graphics that don't seem all that specific, but I feel like they actually are very calculated. Uh, we've seen them do that a few times now. Uh, but you're seeing, like, hey, who would last in this group of teams in the new whatever? And I feel like I see a lot of Baylor mentions. I feel like that's a school that uh, maybe I'm not giving enough credit to. Uh, you know, certainly when you talk about whittling down to 40 teams, I do think that they would be sweating uh, big time. But if you're talking 50 to 60, I think Baylor's one of those teams that is more towards the front of the line. Their problem is always going to be the size. You're just never going to have a large fan base. But in terms of winning and brand recognition and even ratings to an extent, and you know, you can go into a couple of different other categories as well, I feel like Baylor's very well positioned. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do, but you see kind of like Texas Tech with big announcements. You think about it, in the last year Baylor's made those, you know, whether it's the Welcome Center or it's the basketball arena or it's the football project or whatever. You talk about winning on the field. They've been doing that. Um, recruiting well. They've been doing that. I mean, they've been doing just about everything that you can possibly do to be relevant and be amongst uh, the top competitors in, in college athletics. So I do think that bodes well for them. But there is a question of what that cutoff line, if this mythical super conference world uh, were to continue to develop, where that would be. But I, I do feel 
maybe a bit better two weeks after the calamity started than I did a couple weeks ago when it first started. And the thought was, oh my gosh, there's going to be like 48 teams and nobody else. You know what I mean? And that would be a dangerous scenario for them. But if it's a little bigger than that, I do think they're much better positioned than even some of the teams that are in those two conferences specifically. Like multiple teams in those conferences, I think you'd rather have Baylor than some of those. So... Uh, they're a hot brand uh, right now, and there's other teams in the Big 12 that are, you know, picking up their weight. Uh, I mentioned Tech and all that they're doing. You're seeing others trying to to grow and, and get their brands out there as well. So the Big 12 is doing its part, but it begs the question of what is Brett Yormark's tactic going to be in, uh, in terms of growing the league and giving it uh, that fresh coat of paint that I mentioned and all of that. And as we learned last night, Grayson, uh, one of those methods of trying to – you know, make the Big 12 stronger and explore some opportunities was talks that were going on last week while Big 12 Media Days was going on, or at least right after that finished up that Brett Yormark was having with uh, the Pac-12 conference and discussing, uh, according to reports, even a full-on merger. Uh, but ultimately, it sounds like the Pac-12 was the one that came to the table with these ideas. The Big 12 mulled them over realize there's not much value in the leagues coming together totally. And so uh, it was announced last night that there will be no just meshing or complete alliance or coming together of the Pac-12 and Big 12, which would give you this 20-plus team super league that, quite frankly, even though the number of teams would be 20-plus, would not be on the level of the Big uh, 10 or the SEC. And therefore, that's why it's not going to happen. As we learned, the Big 12 Uh, is not looking to further pursue that. There's also been rumors about Notre Dame and some loose alliance with the Big 12 there. How much stock you want to put into that, I don't know. But what we do know in realignment uh, here a few days since our last broadcast is the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are not going to be coming together, although the door is open for the Big 12 now to poach some Pac-12 schools. That's basically where we sit. The question is, who exactly would those be? There's a good four that we can all kind of surmise would be involved because they've been mentioned over and over again, but the big wild cards would be Oregon and Washington and whether or not they would be a part of that. Uh, That remains to be seen, and it remains to be seen how quickly this could move, but that did seem to be a bit of a not-so-much-bombshell, but eye-opening piece of news last night with the Pac-12-Big 12 merger now off the table. Your thoughts of just where we sit a few days later in this crazy world of realignment. Yeah, I think that was the clear-cut statement that I took away from it. It's not, I mean, yes, I didn't want the merger to happen. That's just, uh, that was never going to happen. Never a fan honest. of that idea. No, and it never was going to happen. Like, what, are you going to have two commissioners? Like, no, th- this is not, this. It, like the Big 12 has said, and like many people have said, college football is not about saving conferences at all. And the Big 12 can't be about saving conferences. They can't. Um, You know, the Pac-12 had their opportunity a year ago, um, weren't able to get it done. And now the Big 12 has an opportunity to to add schools and put themselves in a better position. I think that's where the Big 12 is at today. They're in a much better position than they were a year ago when Texas and Oklahoma decided they were leaving. Um, The Big 12 is now solidified. They're all pretty much together from what I can tell. Um, And that allows them to kind of sit there and really pitch something that could be pretty special to these Pac-12 schools. And so I I think they're in a great position. I agree. The merger, glad that's not happening. Not enough revenue, uh, not enough money in that deal at all for that to make any sense for the Big 12, especially when you're in the position of power, which they are in. That would literally just be to save the Pac-12. So I'm glad that's not happening. And we know what 
it was like when the shoe was on the other foot right. a year ago. The thought yeah, of the yeah. Pac-12 even entertaining the idea of merging with the Big 12 was never even on the table. We knew pretty much from the get-go they weren't going to accept the full meal deal. So that's why I was totally against saving Cal, basically, yeah. uh, or some of the others. Washington State, Oregon State. Yeah, I feel bad for those schools because yeah. they're totally powerless. It would be the same as you know what K-State would be feeling like, basically, yep. or Iowa State to a lesser extent. Uh, but, you know, K-State would be pretty much dead in the water. Um, right. We know Baylor would have a chance. Uh, Texas Tech would have a chance. You know, TCU probably has a chance because of Fort Worth, and and others would as well. But... K-State would be done, and yeah, it looks like in the Pac-12, the schools that would really be hurting are, are those two Northwest schools in Oregon State and Washington State. Yeah, definitely, and so I'm glad that you moved past that, and now you're looking at the four schools you mentioned, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, Arizona State. Those are the four that have been linked the most to the Big 12, and then Washington and Oregon. I'm cool if the Big 12 just decides to take all six, if they can. I, I think that's a great move. It's a power move. Um, and I also think once one leaves, that you're just going to see the snowball effect for the Big 12 adding these schools. And I think it should come relatively soon based on all the signs, based on the revenue report that the Pac-12 schools got that apparently was not good, which we all knew it wasn't going to be good without USC and UCLA in the conference. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And like you said, I mean, yes, Baylor is in a great position to be one of those, you know, whatever, top 50, top 60 schools in the country when it comes to joining a super conference. But I think they're just in a tremendous position in the Big 12 right now. I, oh, I yeah. think, you know, with that grant of rights deal in the ACC not going out till what, 2036 or something, I mean, the Big 12 is in a great spot to really thrive over the next few years. And college football has changed so much in the last just two years. Imagine how much it could change in 10 years. And maybe the Big 12 is in a different position then than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, programs out there that are, you know, basically trying to get what attention they can get and prop their profile up as much in a short amount of time as they can. The good news for Baylor is they're not one of those where they've had the resources but maybe have underachieved and they're like, oh my gosh, like we really need to go out and win, you know, right now. They've been winning. They've been winning. They've been winning big. And that, you know, does not necessarily equate to an invite to some exclusive club just purely winning. Uh, but it does, I think, help in the eyes of just your perception. And when people talk about TV ratings and, you know, the allure and the attraction of the brand and things like that, I do think Baylor has a brand. I think they have a, a stronger brand than they probably ever had. And I do think they've got some incredible people in place to continue to build that up and prop that up and, uh, you know, change that along the way for the better when needed and, uh, to just grow it, and I, I really like the, the – I mean, they can't, as a school, be in a better position outside of having won, like, a football national title in the last few years. And yeah. we know that they've had opportunities to maybe knock on that door, and really that's been taken out of their hands more so than they've bobbled that. Uh, and that's frustrating, but there's no denying that if you're talking from a competitive standpoint, which I know is not the big driving factor here, but it is, I think, a sliver of a factor – because you're not going to invite some tomato can of a team, especially if they don't have the other things that come with it. But Baylor's not a tomato can anymore. Years ago they were, but for a long time now they've been established. And I think when you got guys like Scott Drew and Dave Aranda and all the rest that are involved, and you've got the programs out there on the national stage that have been out there like they have been, uh, I think it's the timing's good, but they've got to keep that foot on the gas and uh, you know keep themselves as relevant as they can possibly be. But you can't. 
have better leadership than they do right now. So I think in the big realignment scheme, yeah, they're they're arguably the top program in the new Big 12. Um, and I think a great case can be made for that. Them or uh, Oklahoma State, I yeah, would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those two. And, and quite frankly, they've got the bigger wins uh, in football and basketball by a, a wide stretch. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going off that, that part of it, then it's clearly Baylor. So it will be interesting to see because this has all happened so fast. And it just continues to kind of mutate and change. And last night, we got the nail in the coffin of a Pac-12, Big 12 alliance. Now, what is the next step? The Pac-12 is probably going to talk with the ACC some more and see if they can't get some type of emergency parachute. Uh, Otherwise, the Big 12 is probably going to poach the the Pac-12 for however many of their brands they see fit. Maybe some say no and go off on their own and try to keep the pack alive somehow or another. I don't know, but the Big 12 is in a good position, in my opinion, and it will just be interesting to see what craziness awaits us around the bend, whether that's today or over the next couple of weeks. But realignment is certainly not dead and is certainly here uh, in the meantime for at least a little while. Could you imagine Clemson sitting back and watching the ACC go, oh, yeah, you know what, we'll provide a, a safety parachute for you, Pac-12, and we're going to take, you know, $15 million less. Clemson is going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. No way. No way are they going to be okay with that, and no way should the ACC do that. And I would also almost say I'm very curious if they did form an alliance, if that would by some means kind of void their grant of rights deal. Yeah, there's that could impact things. There's a lot of bad information to sort through on social media because there are a lot of things that are thrown out just purely as fact in the realignment game, like the – voiding of the GOR and I've seen a lot of false reports on how that could happen and some of them I think have a shred of truth to them but you got to be careful because not everything is 100% truth and a lot of it is just throwing complete whatever against the wall and hoping that it sticks I've seen certain accounts that literally propose every single scenario (laughs) and then when one of those 15 scenarios comes true like three days later like told you yeah, told you. And it's like, dude, you couldn't be wrong because you had a tweet for every single possibility. But that's that's part of the fun and craziness of realignment. But I'm with you. I mean, Garrett, yesterday on, on the show, uh, I mean, you can just attest that I got into it with Smokey about the whole idea of an alliance in the ACC. And I was just like, it doesn't make sense. No it doesn't sense. make any sense for them to do what is being proposed. So we had a big to-do about that. But um, yeah, the, the Pac-12, Big 12 alliance just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. And I was totally on board with you. So uh, I, I just I think right now it, the biggest deciding factor is going to be Notre Dame. But if yeah. they can pull the trigger with the Big 12 and kind of capitalize and, and navigate NBC together, I think that's more likely a liable option than what's going to happen with the rest of the ACC programs. Yeah, could you um, – I'm right there with you. I mean, why would any conference do an alliance right now? Like the, I don't know. The, at a point where we're looking at all these schools getting poached, why on earth would you settle for crumbs when you can add the whole cake? You yeah, know what I mean? he. I don't want to get into our full conversation, but you know, it was something about front loading some of the money for the ACC. But my whole thing was the ending was inevitable. You're either just moving up the ending, or you're just waiting until 2036. So, uh, anyways, we could get into that again, but. Uh, we had a big back and forth about that. And, yeah, I maintain that any idea of, of that kind of an alliance is going to be a failure. So I was glad to see that news from the Big 12 last night. The interesting part that Garrett mentioned, the Notre Dame aspect, there was a report out there maybe there's some type of a loose uh, agreement uh, of sorts, a partnership, if you will, 
of Notre Dame in the Big 12. I'm just hesitant anytime I hear Notre Dame in a conference attached. I know they've done business with the ACC, but uh, while that would be a godsend for the Big 12, some type of a partnership with Notre Dame money-wise, uh, I don't know how much stock to put into that uh, right now. But that is also one of the, the tales being spun. I would say, though, I think it's a big deal if it were to happen. Dennis Dodd r- reported it from CBS Sports, and it was basically Notre Dame is trying to eh, find a way. That's eh, why I'm hesitant to right, go all you. in. Yeah, I get you. But Notre Dame is looking for a way to remain independent. And that was something he wrote in the article. I think that's factual. I think they've always been searching for a way to remain independent, uh, but also they'd have to make it count financially. And in order to do that, they'd have to get to $75 million annually. And that's where the Big 12 would come in for quote-unquote shoulder programming, which would be, you know, essentially when Notre Dame's not on, there's Big 12 games and Big 12 content on, which allows NBC to supplement uh, revenue, allows Notre Dame to make more money from NBC, and allows kind of a media deal essentially for the Big 12 and I think, I, you know, Garrett and I talked about this, like, not long ago at all. And it's basically like the Big 12 just getting their foot in the door with NBC and getting their foot in the door with Notre Dame, that could pay dividends in the long run. I know the ACC was hoping that they could get Notre Dame fully after their scheduling alliance. That's not going to happen. But maybe this gives the Big 12 an opportunity with a large media company and also potentially with Notre Dame. Yeah, you can't tell me that live sports are a big deal and then on the other hand tell me like, oh, well, we don't have any money to spend on the Big 12 yeah. or there's not room for the Big 12 because all of the money's going to the SEC or to the Big 10. And I, I just call BS on that and it's like you're just standing in front of me and lying to my <laughs> face when you when I hear that. Oh, well, there's just not going to be much money for the Big 12. Why would there not be? I thought live sports were a big deal. And you can't, you can't continue to downplay the history of the Big 12 and the brands, even if a couple of them are leaving, and just sit there and just keep lying to my face like it's some scummy brand that's never mattered. Uh, before the SEC takeover, they were the top brand. The Big 12 was the top brand there at the late 90s, early 2000s. And it can be that, you know, way down the line once again. Uh, but the SEC does have quite a stranglehold. But don't sit here and tell me, like, the Big 12's got no history or – you know, championship material or can't bring ratings and all this BS narrative that I keep hearing. I just, I don't, the way the brand's kind of been uh, thrown about in the media, I, I get why because of dysfunction and whatnot, but like, I, I just don't think it's this lowly little level of football that it's, it's spun to be sometimes. Um, certainly it's a stronger brand than the Pac-12, but that's a whole nother conversation. I think the Big 12 is going to be uh, fine when all is said and done. And I do think right now they're operating from, a better position than a couple of others are, certainly. And here's a little note, and then we'll move on to some other things. But we're supposed to have Mac Rhodes on today and just got news that he is uh, getting a request for a Zoom call right at about the time he was supposed to uh, be on with us, and it was a request from the commissioner, apparently. And that's a little inside baseball, but he can't be on the show is the point that I'm sharing with you. And it makes you wonder anytime that he's got a bolt and it's a little bit last minute of what news could be going on and what maybe is that entailing and, you know, when it's involving the commissioner and we know what's going on because we're talking about it here over the last few minutes. It's just just buckle up, everybody, because it does seem like this realignment things, you know, rolling down the tracks and picking up up momentum. and, And especially with the Big 12, there's a lot seemingly afoot right now. So who knows what that could be about, but could just as easily be about some new teams as it could be about, you know, what the halftime performance they need for the Big 12 title game next year. The Pac-12 is just like 
can we get summer over? <laughs> That's right, where they're yeah. at. It's kind of like the Big 12 last year. Can we just get through the summer so we don't have to worry about this anymore? And yep. um, I'm just going to say there's still <laughs> another month month and a, a week until the season. And so, I mean, there's still a long way to go, and the Pac-12 is definitely not safe right now. No. Uh, Big uh, 12's in a great spot, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, so after media days, uh, we heard from Brett Yormark. We kind of touched on that now. Uh, interesting to see, you know, what ideas he has for the Big 12 brand. Uh, we got an opportunity to, to talk with a lot of cool people. You mentioned our media coverage. I really enjoyed We have to talk to Dylan Gabriel and Bijan Robinson. And, of course, the Baylor contingent really enjoyed our combo with Dave Aranda. Uh, but what were sort of your uh, overriding thoughts coming out of Big 12 Media Days? Just kind of, I know you did the scatter shooting. So, yeah. for people that want to dive in, because it's been a few days now, you can really dive in there. I've shared most of my thoughts during the shows that we were live from there in terms of the schools that we were talking about and the players, it did shuffle some of my thoughts on next year's Big 12 a little bit. You know, confidence reading articles may be false confidence in person when you're talking to somebody from that program. And you're kind of like, I don't know anymore how confident. You, you know, there's little things like that. But I don't know. I've, I've let a lot out there. Just, uh, I guess, a summer, summary for you on uh, maybe some of the things that stood out most uh, from Big 12 media days as uh, now we get into this waiting game, like you said, of there's another month to go. But, I mean, it's definitely the preseason now after that event wrapped up. Yeah, so I, I guess it'd only be fair to start with Baylor, right? I mean, I have some thoughts about the rest of the Big 12, probably more so than Baylor, but just quick thoughts on Baylor. I, I think it was big for all of their players and coaches to talk about how they're moving on from winning the Big 12 championship. And this is a whole new year, a whole new cast of characters, a whole new roster, and just it just seems like they're really embracing this role of, yeah, we know that we're the hunted now, but we can't go about our business like we are the hunted. It's going about every single day, every single week, every single game, going through the process, which is what they did a year ago. Felt like that was huge. They all had that, you know, humble but confident mindset, which I think is going to be very important for them. Uh, interesting story about the Blake Shapin, Gary Bohannon thing. I feel like, you know, a lot of people were kind of like, talking about how, you know, Blake Shapin won it at the spring game. Well, based on Dave Aranda's comments, it, it seems like it was won before that, and then the spring game was just kind of like, oh, yep, this is what we saw all spring. Confirmation. Yeah, this makes sense, and uh, we're just going to move on with our season. And, and, you know, they respected Gary enough to allow him to move on. It was very clear how much the players respect Gary and how much Dave Aranda respects Gary as well, so I wanted to throw that in there. They love Gary Bohannon, great leader, um, and now it's up to Blake Shapin to try to take over that leadership role which apparently somewhat has. At least he's growing in that regard, which is big as well. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think it was mainly just they have a lot of talent returning, and a lot of people don't realize they had a lot of guys who played last year, played key roles that weren't starters. And so they're going to be, you know, just fine depth-wise. And I think overall this team just needs skill players to really step up. And once those skill players at, you know, wide receiver and running back really take another step – they're going to be in a great position, I think. That seems like the biggest concern, at least, that Dave Aranda had going into the season. Yeah, I think the story with Baylor is pretty simple. I mean, they're returning a lot. They've got a great coaching staff, and there's a reason why everybody's kind of fawning over them now and picking them to win the Big 12, and that's never happened before in Media Day's history, and, and definitely falling over themselves in some cases to, you know, dote on uh, or talk about or talk with Dave Aranda. He's quickly become a favorite of the of the media, even if sometimes it is hard to follow. He can get off on little tangents on occasion. You're kind of like, I don't know what we're talking about here, but but then a lot of it is just 
it's fascinating to kind of just sit back and listen to the man talk football. And I think that's what a lot of those media people, especially the diehard X's and O's folks, really appreciate. Um, but I didn't get a chance to listen to as much of the media session, uh, the Q&A part of it, where they were kind of off to the side as much as I would have liked. I did get to hear some of the video, though. Just wish I could have had the time to kind of go over there and pepper them with questions, too. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't, like, a lot of news coming out. I mean, I think, I think we pretty much know what's what with this team. If the skill folks can rise to the occasion, then this will be a really good team. And if Blake Shapin can stay healthy, this will be a really good team. But those are the two big questions. Everything else, I think, is pretty much answered. Those are the massive questions, though. And, and then can also everybody live up to what they did last year? Can they play to that same level? And then beyond that, for those who have returned uh, and are, are senior leaders, can they attach that leadership piece and play at a higher level than they did last year. So I'd say leadership, skill questions, and health. And those are kind of the main things uh, for for Baylor football. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to bring up one thing that kind of ties in also Texas to this, and I felt like it was a really interesting conversation. I brought up when we talked on the radio when I called in, but it was a guy asking about LSU's offense um, when they won the national championship in 2019 about he was asking Dave Aranda like how that offense would translate to the Big 12 and the defenses that the Big 12 has. And, you know, Dave Aranda made it pretty simple that he felt like that offense would really struggle in the Big 12 if all talent was equal. Obviously, that caveat because LSU was so talented. I mean, they just won every one-on-one battle all over the field, had a great offensive line. They were able to run the ball with Clyde edwards Lair as well. But I just found it so interesting because it was a Texas guy asking it. And it's almost like, okay, is Texas really thinking they're just going to roll the ball out and be 2019 LSU? Yes. Because I think they believe that. But if their talent isn't to the level that that LSU team's was, it's clear Dave Randa feels like that type of offense will struggle in the Big 12. And when you don't have a guy like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, I mean, they had just so much talent. I mean, the list goes on and on. And they had a great offensive line with a lot of veterans on it as well. So I found that interesting and made me really give, a, give another think about kind of Texas's expectations this year. Yeah, I heard somebody absolutely eviscerate them as uh, the last day was coming to a close. Somebody from Oklahoma State's, uh, I guess, radio contingent, not the school itself, but those that cover Oklahoma State, uh, absolutely ripped them and felt that they came across as just totally full of themselves and just typical Texas. And I didn't so much get that sense. I really appreciated Bijan. I think he's the real deal. We didn't talk to anybody else besides that. But then he said that, and it's just weird how somebody says something that kind of plants that seed, and then start to kind of look at it, and you're like, they are walking out around here with a whole lot of confidence for not really a lot of reasons, quite frankly. And I don't know. I, I think they're a huge question mark. Uh, they could be really good, or they could be totally underwhelming um, because they do have some sexiness at the, you know, the sexy spots. But do they have that grit and that toughness and that blue collar and all of that? I, I don't know that they have any of that. Like, you can get dazzled by the distractions of the flashy quarterback, the flashy receiver, the flashy running back. But then all the rest of it's, I don't know, maybe the same old Texas. And if it is, I don't know how much those guys make that much of a difference. Well, and they're starting off the season, unlike anyone else in the Big 12, 0-1. Yeah. Or one and one, whatever it is. They have Probably. a loss. They have, no, no, no. They have a loss on their schedule. They're playing Alabama. They're not beating Alabama. Bro, I agree with you. I not, totally agree with happening. you. But this the, the team that almost knocked off LSU during the year we're talking about was an average 
Texas team. I mean, they are Texas for a reason, and I don't mean all of the BS reasons that they always state, but if anybody were to knock off Bama and create this totally off-the-rails hype train, it would be Texas. Like, that would be the team to do it and make the expectations totally just ridiculous. But yeah. I know I'm with you. They're not going to beat them. <laughs> I'm not going to bet on it. I don't think many people will. But if somebody were to do that, it would be them. Yeah, I, I think I think that that LSU team and this year's Bama team to start the year are at two different points. No, I agree. Like I'm just Joe telling Burrow, you. Joe Burrow was just beginning to be Joe Burrow. Bryce Young is already Bryce Young. No, like I, I get that. Know. I get all that. But I'm just saying, like, if there were to be any team to make some stupid win in, like, week two or whatever and totally flip everything on its head and totally mess up everybody's expectation it would be that it would be them and it would be that game but I don't, i'm not saying that i'm predicting that by any means i'm just saying you never know okay um, for all all we know maybe Bijan and quinn and this whole thing goes off the rails great right from the very beginning i, I don't even care to talk about them much more i'm just saying like that's not a hundred percent would you <laughs> would you bet the remainder of your paychecks the rest of the year on that result? Yeah, they're not they're not losing. Okay, that, they'd be a dumb bet. They're, I think. they're not protecting Quinn Ewers at all in that game. I, I see, we're talking like already. We're already talking times. too much about it because yeah, we're we talking You're about right. it like I'm actually fighting you on this. But, I don't think they'll win that game, but okay. I'm just saying like. Who the hell knows okay. early on in the season? So, and then, okay, so moving on from Texas, yeah. I guess, let, let's talk a little bit about this little theory I have. I think that there are three teams that can win the Big 12, and it's Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. And I came off of media days, and I told you, just as, as frankly as possible, that I was concerned about Oklahoma year one with Brent Venables and all the things that he was saying and just kind of like, oh, you know, we have to rebuild this. We have to rebuild that. And it's like, man, how many things do you have to rebuild? And are you really going to be a good team? But then I dove a little bit deeper and Oklahoma's schedule is so favorable this year. They get Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas State and Texas all at home or on a neutral site. I mean, that, that's craziness. I mean, for them to have that kind of easy schedule, I just I, I look at their schedule, and I, I don't think they're going to win less than 10 games this year. And I think that means you're right there in the thick of it in the Big 12. And I was impressed with what Brent Venables was saying as far as the approach that he's trying to bring in and how they need to get better on defense and offense, especially creating an identity on both sides of the football. And I just I have a feeling that, they're going to be pretty good. And the last time they made a big coaching change, it was Lincoln Riley, and he went 12-2 and his first year at Oklahoma. And I just feel like Brent Venables is going to bring in a culture that will really favor very well for Oklahoma. I think they're going to take a big step offensive, I mean, defensively and be fine offensively, be top 15-ish. Um, and then I think Baylor and Oklahoma State are probably the safest bets to be right there inside that top three. I, I just think their schedules fit pretty well, and I also think they return so much talent, uh, especially at key positions. And I, I'm very confident in all three of those teams now. Yeah, they should be uh, all pretty good. I think uh, the Bay 12's a wide-open race, but there are some at the top that are a bit stronger and certainly have things playing in their favor, uh, like Oklahoma's schedule. I'm still a little bit curious about them, but I'm always a bit more – critical of them and have them under the microscope because I know them a lot better. So I'm going to look at them a lot closer, you know, my, by my, their roots. Yeah, my issue is everyone's like, well, what if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt? And mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, you could say that about every team in the Big 12. Like, what if this guy right. gets hurt? Like, no one has a Heisman candidate as your backup quarterback. Like, that just doesn't happen. So I just – I need to throw that out the door and just be like, if they're healthy all year, how good are they and what does their schedule look like? Just tell me they're going to be pretty good. 
Yeah, I can see them being good. I mean, with the offense they're expected to have and, you know, uh, the fact that the Big 12 is going to be what looks like a scoring – I mean, that's what's going to be fascinating is just hearing Dave Aranda kind of talk about the Big 12 as well and, and talking about the battles with, you know, LSU and, and that team and how he kind of had to approach that defensively and how it messed him up in, in so many ways as well. But I, I do think you're looking at one part of the league like Texas, like Oklahoma, uh, Texas Tech to an extent – um, you know, uh, TCU that are all going to be looking to score a bunch of points and make it more like the old Big 12 in so many ways. And I know that McGuire says they were also going to play great defense. We haven't really seen a team put together the Western Kentucky offense and a solid defense. So I don't think we're going to see the Western Kentucky offense if we're also going to see a really solid defense. But I do think we're going to see them throwing the ball around with whoever that quarterback is, much like TCU will with Sonny Dykes much like Dylan Gabriel will in Norman, much like Ewers will in Austin, and so on. And then, you shoot, uh, Graham Harrell and Neil Brown in, in West Virginia with JT Daniels are going to throw it around a bit more. So I, I do think the offenses are going to take a step up, but the defense is still going to be there in Waco, in Ames, you know, in other places. Yeah, I know Joey wants to establish an identity, but here's the thing. It's been 12 seasons since Texas Tech didn't allow 30 points per game. Yeah, uh, it's just in their DNA right now. And you're going to tell me, oh, they're going to bring in this air raid guy who comes in. I mean, these numbers are, are absolutely absurd. The last two seasons where they're throwing the ball all over the place at Houston Baptist and Western Kentucky, they're averaging 103 rushing yards a game. Are you kidding me? They're not running the ball at all. And you're going to just tell me, oh, now he's going to go to Tech and now they're going to really play complimentary football. We're going to run the football. We're going to have a, a true identity and really help our defense. I just don't see that happening. I don't understand how you would bring someone in and the expectation is they're going to completely shift from what they've done the last two years. And that takes a toll on your defense. That absolutely does. If you're going to come out there and throw the ball over the place and have all these three and outs, which does happen in an air raid offense, you're going to have a lot of issues uh, with your defense getting tired, especially if you don't have depth. I just, I think it's one of the more sure things that I have in this conference is that Texas Tech's defense is not going to be very good. And it might not be because the talent's not good. It might more so be because their offense is just throwing it all over the place. And it really is going to hurt their defense at some points during the season. Yeah, I mean, these are all the things that were talked about uh, last week and things that will be cleared up very soon, and that's what I'm very much looking forward to. I am uh, all on board with reading the magazines and the previews and talking about it for a couple more weeks, and it's going to be longer than a couple more weeks, but, man, I'm ready to see some football yeah. at this point. I've seen every program pump themselves up and get all the sunshine from recruiting and facility announcements and this transfer and that's you know it's like everybody's good everybody's great uh, everything's heavenly everything's good I want to see who the real real deal is now I, I'm tired of the the talk I, I want to see who's going to walk that walk and I feel pretty confident Baylor's going to walk a pretty strong walk now is it going to be last year I don't know about all that that was special that was yeah. special man like to, to redo all of that you know a year later would be Really tough, but I think they're going to carve out some great memories. I think they're going to be a dang good football team. And uh, just how how good record-wise, I still don't know because it does fluctuate in my head from like 8 to 11, you yeah. know. Um, and that's what's tough to kind of still figure out. But it's getting close. We are in the preseason officially. But let's move on here. we got a couple other things to take care of before we move on out the door. Um, some recruiting updates, Grayson. I mean, we've obviously talked at length about – uh, Baylor quarterback commit Austin Novosad. 
Some, you know, will tell you that's a loose label because he'll tell other outlets of, hey, there's a four-team race, three-team. I don't want to dive into all of that so much because we've discussed that at length. Uh, he's still committed to Baylor, and he got a nice ratings boost that, you know, until he's no longer a Baylor commit, if that time ever even comes, which it might not, he might be a Baylor commit till he's a Baylor signee, and you hope that's the way that it works out. But uh, he is boosting their class now because of a little uh, – I guess, rankings uh, upgrade that he got over the last week. Yeah, so he's now the number eight quarterback in the 2023 class, the number 89 overall prospect in the 2023 class as well, according to 247. So they gave him the boost um, in their rankings, which is great. He needed that boost, needed that jump up. On three, moved him from an 89 three-star to a 91 four-star. So he's now a four-star on every single recruiting service site except for ESPN because they don't update that thing at all. Uh, he doesn't even have, you know, four of his offers listed, four of his biggest offers listed on ESPN. So I expect him to be a four-star on that as well when that rankings update occurs. But this is a big deal. I mean, he he's trending towards being one of, if not the best quarterback prospect Baylor's ever landed. The only one they probably won't catch is Jarrett Stidham, who is number 34 overall in his class. So he's still got a ways to go if he wants to catch him. Um, but right now, he's the highest-ranked player in Baylor's class and really is giving them an opportunity uh, to finish inside the top 25 because his ranking is so high and uh, yeah I mean this is a big deal in Baylor like we've talked about they need to find every way they can to try to hold on to him because he is you know the crown jewel of this class right now anything else recruiting wise to really touch on yeah you know I, I kind of just wanted to bring up one thing specifically from an article I wrote uh, this week and it's talking about Baylor being in the top 25 in recruiting rankings and it's something that I've you know I, I'm not gonna say I've promised it but I think it was something that was a goal for this Baylor staff since the beginning of this cycle and something that I really felt strongly could happen and as we've kind of trended uh, you know throughout the month of June, Things have started to get really interesting. So I, I think the key stat to look at is Baylor's currently at 218 points right now. Um, and points are dictated by the guys that you've landed, which is number 13 in the entire country. If you get to 220 points, here's the significance of that. Since 2015, only six schools have ranked outside the top 25 in recruiting ranking with a point total over 220. Baylor's already at 218. If they land two more commits, maybe three more commits, which I think they could in this class, they're easily going to get over that number, and that's going to give them a great chance to finish inside the top 25. They're, they're just sitting in a great spot unless decommitments happen or the national rankings just decide they're going to kill them at the end um, or just an anomaly because history tells us that if they're able to get to that number, they're going to have a fantastic shot at being top 25 and maybe even a ceiling of being a top 20 recruiting class in the nation. Is it really true? You tell me that they have a chance to finish top 20 to top 25. I mean, do they also have to pay every player $25,000 to get there? Nope. No, wow. they don't. That's yeah, amazing. Some schools have to, but, yeah. uh, but Baylor doesn't have to, and, and they're in a great spot, and they, they've basically held true with the guys that are committed. They, they've been able to hold on, hold on to them. Now, they, they still got to fight some battles at right. the end to hold on to some guys, but if they're able to, I mean, they're sitting in a fantastic spot to really reach a landmark goal for this program, to be honest. Man, I'll tell you, um, you know, if you got the means at your disposal to go play in the NL game real deep and do all those types of things, like pay entire roster plus 15 walk-ons, that's really a roster 
I, I made the comment on Twitter that is totally calculated yeah. the 15 walk-ons, but you know, like Texas Tech's announcement or do what Texas has done with the every offensive lineman gets $50,000 out of the kindness of our hearts and our pocketbooks or what Miami's tried doing or Tennessee with an $8 million quarterback or, you know, whatever reports are. I mean, I know Baylor's not totally immune to playing in the NIL game, but I do think that they are uh, doing it the right way. That sounds like the most Homer thing of all time, but I'm saying do it in the right way in terms of not worried about making big, loud bangs and noises and, you know, flaunting cash and like trying to woo people with a bunch of the frilly stuff. Just going about their business, man. Not talking a lot of trash along the way, but speaking up when they need to speak and only really speaking when there's something to say instead of just talking and yelling all the time. And uh, I like that they've, you know, maybe been a little quiet for some people's taste, but I think they've been the perfect amount of quiet. They don't need to just go and win the offseason. They won the season last year, and that's the goal is to win that season again because everybody wins the offseason. Like, if you don't, then, man, that's just miserable. And, you know, sometimes it is miserable. We've had miserable offseasons around here, but this has been eventful. There's been new projects announced. The roster looks good. The recruiting's great. And it's not all just smoke and mirrors with – promises and, and all that kind of other stuff. And some other teams need to do that. But my point being is just like they're potentially going to have their best recruiting class ever by just going out and winning is being due diligent and doing all that and not getting involved in a lot of the other nonsense, so to speak. And and I think that's admirable. And uh, I think that's Dave Aranda and, and that's obviously that staff. And I think it's unique in some ways, to today's college football in the best kind of way. And not to say they're not going to have to go play in the, the mud sometimes because they're definitely going to have to. And they're going to have to get a little muddy for Novasad, I'm sure. But um, it's not um, just built on toothpicks. This thing is being built on some great foundation. And it's just scary in the best kind of way to think of where this thing could be in five years if there's actually a coach who's able to stick around for more than just two years of their 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 ceiling uh, and, and actually could have a chance to break through it because we know Browse was starting to knock some cracks in that bad boy and then all hell broke loose. And Rule was right there on the elevator and ready to push the up button and go all the way up to the ceiling and he bolted halfway through, you know. So um, there's been guys who've kind of touched on that and then never have had that chance to or have chosen not to follow through all the way. So if Aranda can actually stick around – and just keep being the guy that he is and the coach that he is and keep building the program the way that he is. And, yeah, he's going to have to replace some assistants because they're going to get wowed by other schools and they're just going to keep going up the ladder. But I think we all trust him to make good hires because of just his football knowledge and what he's figured out. And so long as you have President AD, the alignment, so to speak, like they've had with Livingstone and Rhodes, and you've got donors willing to spend on new projects, I mean, I think we're at a point where – so long as those things remain intact, we could finally see where this thing could could really go and and how far it can go. And uh, that's exciting. And I hope we get to see that because we've gotten very close, like I mentioned, with a couple of others where, like, man, this thing could really take off. And it sort of does, but we've never seen it take off and just keep seeing how far it could go. And Dave Aranda could do that. Yeah, and I think this year's class is kind of just the the tip of the iceberg, right? I, I think next year's class, you could be talking about comparing it to the 2016 year, our Browse last class before it got dismantled. They were number 16 
in the country. And I do think there's a trajectory and a path for Baylor to potentially get there in that 2023 class if they continue to play the way they have been. And like you said, it's built on culture and built on wins. And that's what Baylor's been able to do. And very similar to what Art Browles did. You know, Dave Randis found a quarterback and a second quarterback. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking about you get Blake Shapin and you're going to have him for at least a couple years. And then you also have Austin Novosad as well waiting in the wings. And if you're able to have that kind of cohesiveness at the quarterback position, that really helps alleviate some things on your roster. Even if you don't have the strongest roster, if you have a great quarterback, that can kind of make up for a lot of things. So they're in a great position and they're in great shape to win a lot of games this year and continue building on that culture. And you're right. If Dave Randa can stick around there, there's no, we don't know what the ceiling is for no. Baylor. We don't know. We've never been able to see it. And I, I think Dave Randa is getting close to allowing Baylor fans to finally see that. Yep, so uh, should be a fun year, and Media Days did nothing to taper, you know, big expectations. I think it varies depending on who you ask, but I think everybody's expecting a good season uh, somehow or another. Uh, let's get in the mailbag now to close things out for this week's episode. No layups 21 in before someone asked about Novosad. So, yep, uh, we already have talked about that a little bit. Yeah, the, the only thing I'll add is June 30th, is when or July 30th is when a and M's trying to get him on an official visit. That's their pool party and whatnot. Um, and he said for a long time that he was going to go to the Baylor camp on the 30th. Um, so we'll see what happens. You know, that, that's a little over a week away. So we'll see what he decides to do. We'll probably know more before then. But my guess is if he shows up at the Baylor camp, then I, I think it's probably a done deal, I, I would think. I, I can't imagine it goes longer than that if he's not taking official visits. Like, what would be the point in that? So... That's kind of where I'm at right now. He has said that all four schools are in it. Um, I don't know how much I believe that or how true I, I honestly believe that is. I do feel like Baylor and A&M have really, you know, been on him for, you know, some time, and they really fit him, I think, culturally better than the other two, Ohio State and Notre Dame. And I just think right now his relationships with Baylor, I think, are still going to win out in the long run. Uh, this is the mailbag, a.k.a. appreciate the question. Uh, that's what I'm going to trademark it as. Uh, after Dave Aranda, somebody have picked up on yeah. how much he appreciates questions. So this is what I'm going to rename the segment. Uh, Stifler's mom, if Elijah Ellis stays healthy, does he take one of the starting O-line spots? What are your projections for the starting five? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I can project that. I, I still think it's going to be Galvin, Grant Miller, Jacob Gall, um, uh, Mose Jeffrey, and Khalil Keith, you notice how I stumbled on Mose mm -hmm. because Micah Mascua is definitely going to have a say in that race. And I, I'm really, you know, the, my thing is, is Mose was so good in the spring that it's really hard for me to not put him as the starter right now. But I do think Micah has that upside that we might see in the fall that might make it impossible to keep him off the field. I know Elijah Ellis is an interesting one because you could slide Khalil Keith to guard and put Elijah Ellis at tackle, that'd be very intriguing. Um, but I need to see it from Elijah before I can pencil him starting over Mose or Micah at this point. Uh, Scotty B, the Baylor King. It's interesting. They, they've got four spots that you know are concrete, and yep. then it's like that very interesting, okay, what could happen here? Right. Uh, and so that will be fall camp. Uh, I did ask Dave Aranda last week, August 4th, the loose date sounds like for fall camp starting up. So we have a little over two weeks still for before that begins, but those will be the types of questions we start to get into uh, here in just a couple of weeks with the actual, well, at least with the rent. I'm not sure how much of the staff we'll talk to because yeah. they shut that down last year uh, in the fall. Uh, Scotty B, 
the Baylor King. Who do you think is the best quarterback Baylor defense will face this year? For me, it'd be BYU's Jaron Hall, who could end up being a top 10 pick or at least first round pick in the 2023 draft. Anyways, I'm pumped the Big 12 didn't merge with the Pac-12 because Oregon State, Cal, and Washington State are the three teams that don't bring any value to the Big 12. Well, we we answered the second one. Definitely gave our reaction. I agree. I, I, I'm I agree. with you. And no merger. Yeah, and I'm with you on the no merger. I just didn't like the idea because you don't really give yourself a lot of room to maneuver either uh, by doing the Big 24 or whatever that would have ended up being. Would have been, yeah, 24, I guess, teams. Yeah. Um, but really, I I wanted no part of Cal mostly uh, involved in the league. I just just don't no. like the fit um, there, and apparently a lot of other conferences aren't that interested either. So imagine that. Uh, but as far as the best quarterback they'll face this year, I could see that. I, I could really see. That. I like Jaron Hall. I like the offense that they have and that they've surrounded him with. Um, Man, there's a, a lot of unknowns, man, because you could say JT Daniels, you could say Quinn Ewers, yeah. you could say Dylan Gabriel, you, I mean, you could say Spencer Sanders, you could say they're going to see a lot of great names, Yeah, but how many great quarterbacks, I think they're going to see a lot of really good quarterbacks to good quarterbacks, but like how many great ones they see out of that group, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I'll probably go Jaron Hall for now, um, but I will say... I don't know that he'll be the most productive, but if we're just talking a draft pick, then probably him. Because production, I find it hard to believe that he's going to be more productive than Dylan Gabriel or or maybe even Quinn Ewers when you look at their final stats. Um, right. But but who knows? You know, Jaron's very talented, and his wide receivers are very talented as well. So yeah, I I, I can see why you're going with him, and I'll go with him too. Yeah, um, you know, Hunter Deckers. We don't know anything about him. Spencer Sanders is up and down. I mean, who the heck knows? Tech, whoever their quarterback's going to be, um, is not going to be the best in the league. Adrian Martinez. <laughs> that could be one that's tough the, the day of, but I, like the best that they face, I don't think. So, yeah, I'll just go Jaron Hall for the sake of, of argument. Oh, cause, also, I just wanted to bring this up real quick because I thought it was another interesting nugget. Did you know Colin Klein is the offensive coordinator at Kansas State? Like, mm-hmm. you knew that going into yeah. Big 12 media days? That is awesome because he reminds I mean Adrian Martinez is kind of like him in the way that they play the physicality that they play with so I don't know I found that to be an interesting little nugget yeah it was an interesting hire by Kleiman I think that uh, really riled up the fan base in a good way and uh, that's a great quarterback for what they're probably going to want to do with Martinez to have tutoring him because that's where he would be dangerous is is being able to run a little bit and then also make the throws but can he make the throws to his own team yeah, that's going to be the key. And hold on to the football when he's not throwing it. That's the key. Uh, Brown Bear, if you had to put a number on it, what's your percentage? Pac-10 is dead by end of July. Dead as in there's no one remaining in the Pac-10 or yeah. that they just lose a couple teams? I'm not sure. Sort of the question, the yeah. way that it was. There wasn't that uh, that yeah. add-on, but I'd say 5% chance. I mean, they're going to be around this year. That's for sure. They're going to be around while USC and UCLA are around. So that's at least another couple of years of Pac-12 football. So 0% chance on that. As far as their future goes, uh, 10% chance by the end of this month that they're dead, but I'm probably lowballing that compared to some others. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously they're playing this year, so it's 0% chance they're actually dead by July, but their future? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to put a 50% chance okay. they, they don't. I mean, I almost don't think they have a future right now. Like, they're going to have to pull off a miracle to really be around for the foreseeable future, in my eyes, at least at the level that they're at currently. Scotty B said 64%. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know I'm super lowballing it, but I'm just thinking here in a couple of weeks whether that could happen. And as I say that, I, I'm telling myself, too, and 
the other side of my head of like, yeah, that could actually unfold pretty quickly here in like the next day or two, really, uh, based on the news last night, you could see, you know, potentially some movement here this week. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how to put a great, I mean, it's 50, 50. I mean, maybe that's the best way to go. It's just 50, 50. Cause it, it's not good, but it's not completely off the table that they could yeah. somehow find a way to survive. If the ACC throws them a life raft of some sort, which I don't know why they would, because, again, that just locks up the ACC for longer or keeps them locked up uh, most assuredly rather than perhaps some of those programs having a way out earlier, which I think they would want to maintain rather than solidify what their current situation is. That's why the that alliance doesn't make a whole lot of sense is the ACC is not trying to solidify, I don't think. I think they're no. trying to, if anything, you know, some of those schools want to speed up the the exit strategy and, Others are holding on for uh, – so I don't know, man. I, it's 50-50. It's like a lot of other things in, in realignment right now. But, yeah, not not great. Doc Crow, how often do you guys get off-the-record info? How much of that do you hint at, if any? Often and as much as I can. Yeah, pretty much. Say. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, when will the hats go on sale? Uh, we got a variety, and I think there's more coming. Uh, we've been giving a lot of them out. Um, I don't know as far as the various styles and all of that. We were just given a chunk of them, um, of various, you know, designs and whatnot. We've given some of those away, gave some away at Big 12 Media Days, and we should have some new ones coming in, I think, soon. But uh, is there are they up in the store? Do you even know? Don't know. Not yeah. sure. That, send a message to uh, Brian. Uh, that would probably be your best bet, Brian Etheridge uh, or Colt. Well, Colt's kind of out of pocket right now. One of the, one of the – yeah. The, the folks, uh, Brian, Ashley, or Colt. Uh, probably, Brian, your best bet, I would think, on the hat front to uh, to figure that out and give you a better uh, answer. Uh, but, yeah, I'm enjoying them. I've got, like, a handful of them now, so it's cool to be able to switch them in and out. You each have one previous Baylor player from any time or sport to give one more year of eligibility to for this upcoming season. Who is it? Um, I'm going to give eligibility to uh, – how about Corey Coleman? I was thinking the same thing, yeah. yeah. I'll give I'll give eligibility to Corey Coleman. I will say the uh, the the intriguing one is basketball because I was trying to think of a big man that would make a lot of sense, like an Ekpe Udo or a Jonathan Motley, um, just because they they I think that's really where they're most vulnerable is mm-hmm. the, the big man spot. But yeah, I'm gonna go with Corey. Yeah, I think Corey Coleman would be exactly what you're looking for. I mean, uh, you you could. You could name any number of receivers, and I'd be good with Antoine Goodley coming back. I'd be good with, you know. Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims wants to come back. That'd be terrific. Do we get Josh Gordon for a full year? Hell, bring them do, all I'll back. Take them. I mean, bring <laughs> them all back. But, yeah, uh, I'd go receiver, and Corey Coleman seems like a safe bet. Uh, let's see here. Uh, which are y'all more tired of fielding realignment speculation or Austin Novosad questions? <laughs> I think the realignment thing is kind of fun. So I don't mind that so much. It can get a bit ridiculous. I mean, like, there's some really, and I don't mean on this podcast specifically, but you see some, like, really wonky stuff out there being reported as far as realignment goes, and it's kind of clear to see who's, like, just totally full of it sometimes when they're talking about it. But there are others that are clearly, like, they have some kind of insight or they're just really great at guessing. Uh, So it's fascinating to see that just the – the overall reactions to realignment news across the, the college football spectrum and how much it affects, you know, various brands and schools and communities and parts of the country. It's just, it's all very interesting, if not heartbreaking in some cases, if you're a Washington State fan, for example. Uh, but the Austin Nova said, that's annoying because we don't really know and it's recruiting and it's totally, 
you can trust somebody as much as you want to, but at the end of the day, if the bag man arrives, you know what I mean? You just, you just don't know in recruiting how, how it might turn out. So uh, the fact that there's no set end date, you know, until like December, really, when they have to actually or when they actually get the chance to sign these players, that's, I think, what, what makes it a little frustrating. But, I mean, I get why. Yeah, I, I don't mind questions about either one at all. Like, speculation, cool with it. Austin Novosad questions, cool with it. My problem is comments about Austin Novosad, like saying he's not committed, like that he's not a commit. Like, that's just false. He is committed. I mean, the dude has offers from Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Notre Dame, and is just trying to make the best decision for him. That doesn't mean he's not committed. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't like the little fine line where you're like, oh, he's not really committed because he hasn't made a decision. Well, it's like, I mean, if tomorrow was December, or if today was December 19th or whatever, he'd be signing with Baylor. So he is committed. And so I have an issue with that. I have an issue with when people are like making up stuff that's just not true, like that about the recruitment or, or contradicting the things that I've been reporting that are just not true at all and super outlandish. That's where I have my issues on that side of things. Um, but, yeah, the questions, I don't mind. I don't mind answering any of the questions, to be honest. Bless one seventy seventy. Uh, recently, I've seen several baseball commitments, but not much commentary. Any updates on new people and or those staying? I haven't kept track of it. I'll be perfectly honest with you. been way too busy with uh, Big 12 media days and all of that and never have been one to – pay super close attention to the baseball roster, especially at this time period. Uh, so I would suggest that you go check out our man Levi, uh, who's normally got the baseball news, and uh, we'll keep you up to date and abreast on that as much as possible. Yeah, and I'll see if Levi can write maybe a commitment, just a little article about a couple of the guys committed. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't really keep up a whole lot with roster addition and subtraction on the baseball team unless it's, like, transfers just because it's so hard to really know the kind of impact those guys are going to have and, and just kind of covering recruiting for baseball is really tough yeah. um, unless you have, like, a perfect game account, which right. we don't. <laughs> no, yeah, a perfect game does a good job as far as the baseball recruiting side of just the whole – world of baseball recruiting goes but yeah not something we're as in tune with or I think many places are as in tune with as you know football and basketball etc um, as far as the reporting of a like daily recruiting type yeah. stuff so yeah just be on the lookout for Levi to have an article keeping you up to date on that as a volunteer coach part-time how does that work I think someone mentioned there are changes coming to the number of scholarships and coaches for sports like baseball is there a time frame or is that just a wish list for some time in the future yeah, volunteer is part-time, I believe. And so, yeah, they, they help out in the ways that they can. And, I mean, you're just a part-time coach. That That's pretty self-explanatory, I feel like. As far as the scholarships, I don't know a time frame on it um, or that it's, you know, literally just a wish list. But I do know that it's something that's been talked about. Um, I do – I'm getting concerned with these super conferences. I've heard a lot of opinions that, you know, a lot of these other sports might have issues, you know, going forward. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think as of right now, I think there that should be something that's going to come to a vote at some point. And hopefully it does because more scholarships is always a good thing. Yeah, volunteers, I think uh – Get a little money here and there, like camps, I think, are one outlet for, for making money. But other than that, it's pretty much unpaid. Um, so, yeah, I think they try to get get it where they can get it. But, yeah, it's not like you're getting your, your salary every couple weeks or every month. So that's a, that's a big commitment to make for those guys. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the number of scholarships thing, yeah. I mean, that's been bandied about. 
Uh, and as far as a timetable, I'm not sure on that. Uh, that was something that was speculated about, especially towards the end of the season, kind of wrapping up. The, the talk about it really seemed to ramp up as well, but have not seen much of an update since the season uh, ended. So we'll need to follow up on that. Maybe that's something else that uh, Levi could address uh, along with the rest of your questions. So appreciate the baseball interest. We'll definitely have tons of coverage. Um, but, yeah, it's not a lot of, of that on the uh, on the main plate right now. Uh, Bear sack, which happens first. Nova sack commits to BU. A new school announces or two it's joining the Big 12. Practice starts for the football team on 8-4. Or the fro comes back to Sikkim 365. Well, you already answered something that's already happened. Yeah, he's already committed to Baylor. He's committed. So he committed in December. So now if you want to say when's he going to post his thing that his recruitment is over and that he's, you know, chosen Baylor, I actually think that will be, you know, during this month. Um, so I think it'll happen before practice starts. Um, who a new school announces. That's tough. The fro probably won't come back till August once um, fall camp happens. So it's one of the top two, I think. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with a new school announces as the first one. Before Nova said, like, pours a bucket of concrete on his commitment. Is well, he's going to make a post yeah, when okay. he does decide. Okay. Like it, when he does reaffirm, either affirm his decision with Baylor or decide to go somewhere else, he's going to make a post about it. Like, that, that's definitely going to happen. Um, I just think I have a feeling the new school thing might happen the next week. Yeah, I mean, that's getting, you know, a bit more heated. So I could see where that – you know, happens or unravels the Pac-12, that is, to where teams are announcing they're looking forward to joining the Big 12 at some point. I could see that in the next couple of weeks. I'm not guaranteeing that by any means, but that's just the way the wind is blowing right now, especially with the news last night. Uh, something has to give with the Pac-12 and their TV talks and then what that means for those schools that are under that umbrella. And if those TV numbers come back and they're not great, then, you know, gas up the, the engines and uh, Arizona and whoever's joining them uh, most likely is, is headed to Big 12 land. So, uh, yeah, I would think that that and whatever this affirmation or decommitment and commitment elsewhere for Austin Novosad, whatever that final post of his will be, uh, those two are going to be running probably neck and neck. It'd be yeah. one of those two for me. Uh, so appreciate that question. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to the fro being back and looking forward to uh, that post for Novosad just to have some clarity and some confirmation, and uh, obviously looking forward to, to practice starting here pretty soon. House money, does Baylor make the CFP this year? Why or why not? Uh, I'm going to say no, uh, just because it's so hard to make this college football playoff, and, man, they had a great shot at it last year. I just don't see with this road schedule being what it is, them being a one-loss team at the end of the year, and they would have to be that at minimum a one-loss team. There's no chance that a two-loss team getting in, uh, not a two-loss Baylor. So can they go unscathed, basically? I think they probably can, but I'm not banking on it. I'm not banking on it, so I'll say no. I mean, that would be banking on a 12-1 and season is what they'd have Where, to like, have. six of those games are road contests, you know, yeah. against pretty good teams. Man, I really... A Black Friday in Austin, a Thursday in Morgantown, uh, yeah. you know, two Lubbock, two Ames. Yeah, come things, on. things would have to go extremely right for a two-loss team game. We've, I mean, no one's done that outside Shaping would be SEC. in Heisman talk. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't honestly sit here and say I think they're going to make the CFP. Like, I can't in good faith do that. I think they'll go... I, I actually think they'll probably go 10-2. and two. They may even go 11-1 and one and then have to replay a team in the Big 12 championship, which is not easy either. So I'm going to say no. 
Um, and the reason, like you said, is the schedule. I mean, they have a top 15 matchup on the road in a night environment in Provo. I mean, that, that's going to be so such a difficult game. The Thursday night game at West Virginia, who I think is going to be pretty good this year. A lot of stumbling blocks, and we I haven't even talked about at Oklahoma or Oklahoma mm-hmm. State at home or at Texas. Like, yeah. It's a tough schedule. It's a very tough schedule, and uh, it makes you thankful they took care of business last year when it was a little more favorable. But, yeah, this is going to be – Really hard slate of games, and uh, be fascinating uh, to see here in a few weeks is how that whole story goes. Because, man, this time last year, there might have been some people who were positive on the team and what they could do, but I don't think any of us knew what we were in store for, really. And we didn't even know after, you know, as late in the season as the Fort Worth game what we were in store for still. We still had no idea how great it was going to be by the end because that was like, you know, that was rock bottom, basically. And... Rock bottom, and then the ultimate triumph in the same season just a few weeks later. So, hard to predict how these things will go. But, yeah, not the most favorable slate of games. Most dramatic, thrilling Baylor recruit path from offer to signing day. How does it compare with current recruits named, not named, Austin Novosad? Mm, Most thrilling. I mean, I wasn't here covering the Jarrett Stidham one, but my goodness. That wasn't really thrilling. That was just kind of... um, It was? I mean... I mean, it was thrilling, but I, I don't really recall how... I don't know. I don't know if Thurlane's the word. That just seems to stick with me for some reason. Yeah, but. I mean, the way that he flipped and... At, you yeah, know. it was. I guess Thurlane's the word for it. I don't know. It just wasn't like this... And this Novosad thing's been a far longer process already. Yeah. And, you know, Stidham was just super committed to Tech and then out of the blue one night, just all flipped. of a sudden, like, rumor has it. And then he's on a... What was it? A Cleburne radio station or something or yeah. Stephenville radio station and you know, making a commitment. Luckily, they had online feed for that station. Um, and I was able to listen to it. I mean, it was all exciting and, and all that. I guess thrilling would work, but it was just all very sort of abrupt. It wasn't like a thing that played out over time necessarily. Yeah. And then that was, so I had four examples. So these two was that one in Isaiah Hookfin when he, the Texas debacle where he ends up at Texas because of various reasons. But, uh, yeah, that one was interesting. And then Tyquan Thornton, because he was committed to Baylor, decommitted, committed to Florida, and then flipped uh, to Baylor. That was a big one, and it was talked about a ton because Baylor never gave up on recruiting him. And then Gary Bohannon, you know, he didn't make his decision until late in the process either, had offers from Alabama and Georgia for defense, had, you know, Louisville, Kentucky for quarterback, Arkansas as well. Um, and ended up choosing Baylor. So those were kind of the ones that I narrowed it down to. Um, I'm not sure any are more thrilling than this Novosad one, especially with the rankings boost he just got. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now with the the kind of other thrilling ones that we've seen in the past. Yeah, no, those are good examples. I have to really sit down and really stew on maybe some before you even got around. And, and my, my memory doesn't go back much further, um, but – yeah, the, the Stidham thing was a shock and a surprise and, and a celebration, you know, once it eventually happened. I know it's a lot of anger on the part of the Texas Tech fans. They st- I actually saw somebody mention that just the other day, like in the last couple of days. So it's not even gone away from them just yet. Although, um, man, he was he's certainly somebody who could have NIL'd it up yeah. during his recruitment. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's, that's a good example and – um, just not quite the the roller coaster that Novasad has been. Uh, that was more like a thirty second roller coaster, and this Novasad one's going on like two and a half minutes already. <laughs> if that makes sense, but yeah. hopefully not too much longer than that. And uh, if another one comes to mind, then I'll try and and bring that back for for next week to mention. But house money, 
First time I recall seeing your name, maybe I have before, uh, but do appreciate your question. He closed it out or she closed it out. Uh, by the way, the BearCast is the podcast I must listen to every week. So thank you so much for uh, the great compliment, and thank you so much for closing us out this week. Uh, some good questions, and, man, some big things coming up uh, with Baylor just getting into the grind of things once again. We've now got a lot to chew on from all that was said last week at Media Days and a lot to look forward to and realignment, uh, threatening to change the complexion of the Big 12 at any moment, really. And, um, yeah, just a lot in store. We're, we're starting to get close to, to football season. Grayson, anything before we go here? No, I mean, this was exciting. We got to talk about a lot of the key topics that are coming up in this summer. And fall camp's right around the corner. I mean, football season is almost here. And I know everybody's really excited about it. I know we're excited about it. But I got to say, I think this is the fastest summer we've ever had, Craig. Like, it is moving very quickly. Hopefully it stays that way. That's just because there's been nonstop news. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I welcome that. But realignment's played a part in that. Recruiting. Recruiting's played a big part in that. And there's just been, you know, various stories popping, whether it's Baylor basketball playing, you know, exhibition yeah. games that they wouldn't normally play. or Media days. Baseball yeah. coach being hired and media days. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of different things. Uh, facilities announcements. Um, you know, a new Big 12 commissioner. There's been just a lot of those kinds of stories piling up all at the same kind of uh, time over the last few weeks. And, hey, thankful for it. Made our job a lot easier, a lot of more fun stuff to talk about rather than having to kind of just scrape together, like, what are we possibly, like, talk Rangers because there's nothing else, and we hadn't had to do that, so that's been great. Uh, Well, it's also been great because of you, the audience, do appreciate all of you out there, uh, those of you who ask questions, uh, that mailbag is open. Just look for Grayson's post at the beginning of each week to get your question in there. Also, thanks to Garrett uh, behind the scenes for uh, pushing all the right buttons. And uh, he was a big part of helping make that magic out in Arlington during Big 12 Media Days as well. So for Garrett and for Grayson, I'm Craig Smoke. Check out Sikkim365.com and Sikkim365 Radio. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.